by saying, hang around for the end, because the end of the sermon, I bring out a point that, I'm telling you, bless the socks off of me. Uh, I've saying in Sunday school, I've read Genesis 30 times. I read this little portion of scripture through the commentaries, and I was like, we, oh, this is cool. God is so cool. I mean, that's an understatement, right? But I'm going to say happy September. Happy Labor Day. For tomorrow is Labor Day, isn't it? So uh, for most of us workers, we get a day off. And it is a federal holiday where many workers around our country and the unions will be taking a day off to relax. There'll be barbecues, and I think the weather's supposed to be good, so it's good. And this weekend also seems to be what I would label a transition weekend, where we get back to like life as normal. Uh, as a teacher, uh, an ex-teacher, you know, kids go back to school, the beaches are less crowded, buses are on the road, traffic increases, so everybody going now leaving at seven has to leave at a quarter to seven to beat the traffic. But it's a transition, if you will. And um, we also get to that point now where weekends become coveted for rest and relaxation, or as, you know, Elma Fudd says, now a little rest and relaxation, you know what I mean? So, uh, and as, as you'll see, work and rest are not new concepts for humankind because they were actually instituted long ago, actually at creation, that God's going to institute uh, work and rest for humankind. Let me um, begin by stating this fact. Work, labor is something that has been ordained by God for mankind. He ordained for us to work. Usually when we hear the word work, it tends to take on a negative connotation, doesn't it? Ugh, Sunday night blues, got to go to work tomorrow. For a teacher, especially, you know, Sunday night football, I couldn't watch it because I had to get up early and go to work, you know what I mean? So we get those Sunday night blues and sometimes work and take on these negative thoughts. But God didn't create it that way. He created it to be a wonderful experience for us, not to be a bitter experience. We're supposed to enjoy as we labor in the Lord, in the creative order. God created mankind, and he sets them in the garden, and he says, go, rule over, work. But it wasn't a burden. It was a joy under the auspices of a holy God that we would co-labor with him. Amen? So in order to understand this idea of work and rest, join with me, please, in Genesis 2, verses 4 to 8. Go to Genesis 2. Keep your finger in the beginning of Genesis, like 1, 2, and 3, because we're going to be touching on that this morning. Genesis 2, verses 4 to 8, and then 15. It says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God, ready, had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And why did he put him there? Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So God created humankind to go into the garden and to work under his loving care, his loving auspices, to co-labor with him over the creation. Now, if you will, flip back to Genesis 1, 26 to 30. 26 to 30. And we're going to go back to this later. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, 
Increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath and life in it, I give every grain plant for food, and it was so. So what we see here, family, is this that the Lord created man in his image with certain commutable attributes that he gives to the man, and he says, go, co-labor with me, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth, and multiply, and be fruitful, and go, and work with me over this wonderful planet Earth. And this is, of course, before the fall, amen? So we have to see that humankind under the sovereignty and authority of Almighty God has been instructed to care for the earthly realm which we live in, right? We are supposed to rule over them under God's hand. And this was supposed to be a wonderful relationship between man and his creator to flourish and co-labor with him. Family work, listen, was not meant to be a byword. It is part of what we're created for. Each one of us has gifts and talents and abilities that the Lord God wants us to use to co-labor with him for our good, the good of those around us, and for his glory. He's given us these different abilities and talents. We're not all robots. We're not all made the same. Same intellectual abilities, same gifts and talents. I look at Joe and I'm like, oh man, I wish I could do a tenth of what he does. In a day, a door is up. In a day, this is done. I come here, and who knows what's going to be done around here, but there he is, busy beaver, going along, doing his thing. And I'm, you know, if I tried to do it, one time I tried to fix a pipe in my basement, and being a lefty, I went the wrong way and broke the pipe. Hello, plumber? So you know, everybody's got their gifts and talents, right? We, like all other things in, uh, like all other things in the creative world, work, like everything else, became corrupted. It became corrupted under sin. Now, please understand this. Work is not cursed. The creation has been cursed. So now work has become a toil. Go to Genesis 3, 17 to 19. Listen to what it says. He's, this is the Lord. He said to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you. Now, guys, don't run with that, please. You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Now, before, again, we go any further, please understand, work is not a curse. The ground was cursed. If you read Romans 8.20, it says that the creation is subject to frustration right now under the Lord's curse on the earth for man's sin. So not only does man experience the consequences and judgments for our sin, but all of creative order has been subject to frustration and decay. So now we have to work by the sweat of our brow. Now we have to toil in our job. So again, work itself, not curse, but the ground is, so now we've got to work by it. Please understand that God's intended purposes for us as human beings is still in place. He still wants us to labor with him, to co-labor with him over this creative order. But now it's not going to be pleasant because the creation is subject to decay. Do you hear me? Unfortunately, it's been, uh, work has been tainted, as everything else has, under the bondage of sin. But it doesn't change the Lord's initial plan for us to glorify him, to co-labor with him, to bring glory and honor to him, 
and edify others. Again, we have all gifts and talents that he wants us to use under his loving hand. And let me reiterate this, that work itself is not of curse, for it is something that was intended for us to do under his hand. And look, he's placed each one of us in the time and place we live in. Read Acts 17, 26. Each one of us has been put in this time and place for a reason, and he's created us in his own unique way. Read Psalm 139. And again, he wants us to use our gifts to glorify him, be a benefit to others. Now, whether it be in secular employment or in the church, hey, guys, Read 1 Corinthians 12. I need you guys. Each one of you has certain gifts and talents. As you saw, the worship team comes up. They can sing, right? And they can play instruments. Joe can work on the building. He's given people the ability to teach. Mike teaches. We all have gifts and talents that God wants us to use for him to edify his body and in secular employment. And there's a reason we're out there, righty? And listen, this actually segues into my next question. As Christians, what should our attitude towards work be? What should our attitudes be since it's been ordained by God and we're included in that? We're supposed to work also. How do we approach the task that the Lord has set before us? And I have down here Pastor Steinism. I'm glad you asked, so let's talk about it. First of all, listen to this uh, scripture from Colossians 3, 23 to 24. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Listen, as Christians, we should have the best work ethic on the job. You hear me? Do you walk around, you know, grumbling, murmuring, job? Remember the bear in the cartoons that he walked around? Do we do the job we're expected to do? Like I was talking to Brian Pelter yesterday, and he went for a job interview, and the guy asked him, you know, this is a tough job. Will you still do your job if um, the supervisor is not around? And Brian answered, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. And that's what our attitude should be. No grumbling, no murmuring, right? And we should respect those in authority over us. And I'm not talking about being a brown nose, but we respect the position of the one in authority over us that they, people see that no matter what's going on, we still have a respect for our boss. We're doing our job. We become a witness for him, which really listen, goes into the next thing I want to say. We're ambassadors for Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells that. So when we're on the job and we're doing it well, it leaves an open door for people if we witness to them. But if we're a poor employee, if we kind of neglect the work we're going to do, if we murmur, if we grumble, if we're using profanity or coarse jokes or these things on the job, what kind of ambassador, what kind of witness is that of Christ? Listen to the definition of ambassador. An accredited diplomat sent as an official representative. We're official representatives for Jesus Christ. Whether it be in our home, whether it be in this church, whether it be in the marketplace, and on the jobs, we represent him. So we go in there and we do the best we can with the abilities God's given us, with our language, we don't murmur, we don't talk against the boss, and listen, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it, yes, but I'm trying to give you the, the, what the um, top shelf is. And I have down here, we're human, we're not perfect. But do those around us on the job see a consistency in our work ethic? A consistency when our big boss at the district office has to do something. It was like, really? Really? And you, you, but then you do what you got to do. So if people see that you get a little huffed at first, but then get into it and do what you got to do with the right attitude, it's, you're being a good representative of the Lord. Amen? Well, and I have down here this question. Will the Lord's reputation be marred or admired in how we do our job. 
Do you hear me? Will it be marred or admired? And you know, there's only two sets of people that can answer that, yourself and your co-workers. So if we had our co your co-workers here and we interviewed them, would they say, yes, the Lord's name is represented by so-and-so or it's marred by so-and-so? But that people are watching us. When you go out and you tell people you're a Christian, you're, you're on the shelf there to be looked at because they're going to watch to see if you're consistent. Do we err? Do we make mistakes? But we can ask forgiveness and we go forward. Amen? But even on the job, people are looking at us. And let me go add something else, and it's a reference from James 1.17. Listen to what James says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting, shifting shadows. Say that three times fast. So how can we make application of what James is saying here? Well, it's this. Our work is a gift from God. Do you hear me? Our jobs, where God has provided for us, a gift of God, because he's endowed us, each one of us, with specific gifts and talents and abilities. As we go, we go on to the jobs. And listen, we're a witness there, but it's also a way that the Lord has made to provide for us and our families. So we should go into our work with a spirit of thanksgiving because God provided this work as a way of providing for us. He's given us the ability to do the job, and then he puts us there, he opens the doors for us, and when we're there, he's providing for our families, whether it be health insurance, salary, whatever you want to call it, compensation, the Lord God is providing for us. So as 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Be thankful for your work. Amen? And in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with the thanksgiving to God. So go in, even if the job becomes difficult, and it will be. That's why I started off with work is a challenge now because everything is under the bondage of sin. The creation, even the people we work with, this, they have a sin nature. But if we go in with the right attitude, and work hard on the job, right? And we can give thanks to God. And when it gets tough, we have the Holy Spirit within us that can give us the grace and the strength to do the job that God's called us to do. He'll even bless your ability. I remember listening to somebody preach, and they had a hard time reading, but as they meditated on the Word of God and read the Word of God, their reading became better, and they were more capable of doing their job. God will equip us if he's called us to do something. Amen? Praise God. And listen, I have down here, remember uh, Joseph? He's in Potiphar's house. He did what he had to do. And what happens? Potiphar knew that his house was blessed because of Joseph. So do the people around that we work with see that the job is being blessed by us being a component of, of that position? Amen? So we need to be thankful. And listen, you may, and here I have down this also. You may say this or that, ah, oh, the job, the da, da, da. But I have here, everybody complains about their job until they lose it. Think about it. Then when you lose, it's like, oh. I wish I had my job back. You know what I'm saying? Even if it was tough, but at least it was providing for your family. So keep that in mind. And I have a robism here, and I've said this for a long time. I've always said that no matter what we do, if you do a fair day's work for a fair day's pay, it's both honorable and a blessing. Amen? A fair day's work for a fair day's pay, no matter what you do. And we as Christians should never look down on somebody because we think that that job's lower than what we would be doing, and never envy somebody who may be doing something that is where they're making a lot of money or on, on a top of the food chain, if you will. Why? Because God's given them gifts and talents and abilities to use, and God's given them gifts and talents to use, right? And he's given us gifts and talents to use. So no matter where you fall on the food chain, you should be 
honorable to those people who are working, no matter what they're doing, because a fair day's work for a fair day's pay is honorable, and it's a blessing. Amen? All right. Well, with all that said, let's make a transition here. So we've talked about work. God's called us to work as human beings. He's provided us with the gifts and talents. He'll open doors for us, and it's really part of his creative order for us to work. But knowing that we're jaws of clay, God also gave us a time of rest. Amen? Amen? So look, I have down here that um, he's going to give us a day of rest where we would actually cease from our labors. And why? So that we can be restored physically, emotionally, and most of all, spiritually. Do you hear me? And not only did he make the provision for humankind, but he also gives us the example. Do you know that God ceased? He rested from his labors also. And he sets the example for us. The Lord did his work, but then he took a day where he rested. Amen? So he sets the example for us. With that said, I believe we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. I know Ryan's back there waiting for that nugget when he's going to get to that thing that really blessed him. Well, we're getting there. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Family, by the seventh day, the Lord God finished his work. Listen to this. So on the seventh day, he rested. The Hebrew word is Shabbat of which we get Sabbath, okay, the Sabbath day. From all his work, God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. He consecrated the seventh day as holy because on it he rested, Shabbat, okay? So again, I'm going to ask you something here. Did God need to rest? No. He's omnipotent. He's eternal. He doesn't need to rest, but he does it. Right in the book of beginnings to set a pattern, if you will, to show that we as these jaws of clay need to take some time to be refreshed and renewed. Amen? So listen, we got to think that our bodies, these physical bodies, need a time to chill, if you will. We need time for our emotions. We need time to meet with the Lord, as we'll see, to, be, to grow spiritually. And I want you to notice something here from this passage in Genesis. The Lord blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. He consecrated it. Why? He set it apart not only to be a day to cease from our labors, but a day to spend focused on him. He wants a day where people take time from the world and just give their time to focus on the relationship with the Lord. He made it holy. He consecrated it. He set it apart. The purpose of this day of rest is from our labors but it's, and to be refreshed, but it's also to give us a certain day where we specifically direct our thoughts and actions towards God. It's not a day to just merely cease from our labors to go into all the th that the secular world has to offer us. It's a day to meet with Christ and be renewed emotionally, physically, and spiritually. All righty, listen to Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, and this is so important. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the time approaching. Sundays, when we come together, this is a time of refreshing we come and we worship the Lord. Corporately, we worship the Lord. We pray together. We hear God's word. We rest 
in Christ and we grow spiritually. But there's something about coming together. Something about coming together. One of my fears, one of my fears, and I was talking to Juanita Flora. She goes, you know, Rob, I'm concerned. In 30 years, there won't be church. Everybody will be watching live streams or podcasts. That's, again, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, what he's using to separate the church. We come together to fellowship. We come together to praise. We come together so that the Holy Spirit manifests his presence in our midst. There's something about coming together, and we're spiritually fresh. I don't know about you guys. I do leave here tired after preaching, but there's no place I'd rather be on a Sunday than in the presence of God's people, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's why even when you go away, find a Bible-believing church. Get in there and worship with those believers because they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? The idea is that our focus is off our labor and worldly concerns. Instead, it's directed to the relationship with the Lord. And if you haven't noticed, the world's chipping away, church. When I grew up and some of his older folks, there were blue laws. You couldn't work on Sunday. It was the Lord's day where we rested and got, went to church and fellowship. Now, on Sundays, you couldn't serve alcohol. Now you can serve alcohol. Then it was you can't sell it before 12. Now you can sell it any time. Walk into King Collin, 7 o'clock in the morning. You can do it. All righty? So it's chipping away. And now, sports and activities. Used to be no sports and activities on a Sunday, whether it be baseball, football. It used to be before 12. Now, soccer, everything's on a Sunday. And what do parents do? Oh, little Joey's going to be a superstar. I got to take him to this. I got to take him to that. I got to... Before you know it, they're in seven different sports. They trip over their own feet, and, and they miss out on Sunday mornings. You know what I'm saying? So the world's chipping away. And again, technology, too. Chipping away at our time that we're going to spend together. How many people? I, I, I don't have a phone. I know I say it all the time. But as I walk here to church, I watch. Everybody's head is buried, and they're driving. We, where were we yesterday? Driving on the parkway. And this lady's looking down, and she's got a cigarette in her hand. I'm like, how she got the steering wheel? scary. But technology is, is chipping away at the fellowship of the church. Also, ah, I'll just stay home this morning and watch Stanley. Ah, I'll just watch a podcast. No. God wants us to be together as a family. Amen? I don't know. Italian. Sunday dinner was great. Why? The family got together. We talked. We fellowshiped. Macaroni, meatballs. There's nothing better. All right? But we were together. And that's what God wants of us, is family to come together and fellowship one with another. Now, let me explain something. The Lord instituted the Sabbath under the law as a day of rest for one's labor and a day to seek the Lord. However, this, like all the rest of the law, was tainted by man. Under the Jewish law, they made it more of a day of labor than a day of rest. As I brought out, they write the Talmud, the rabbis write the Talmud, and they add law to law to law. So instead of the Sabbath being a day of rest, now they're working to try to keep the Sabbath and circumvented exactly what God had for them to rest on that day and spend time with him. Now, I don't know, um, Mark, some of you guys, Marty could probably help me out that you can, you know, they put the yellow line and you can only do this much within the yellow line. What's that called? Around the temple where you can do this, but once you enter, there you go. Yeah, so there's, but they add law to law to law and make the Sabbath more of a day of work than a day of rest. God intended it to be a blessing for man. That's why Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was supposed to be a day where man rested from his labors and spent time with God. But that was perverted too under the trying to keeping of the law and the trying to maintain a righteousness of works. And, what, and what, if we read the passage that leads up to that, 
Jesus' disciples is going through the grain field and they're picking heads of grain to eat. And the Pharisees railed them. Look, they're working on a Sabbath. And it became law upon law upon law where the Sabbath became more of a day of work than a day of rest. They had it wrong. And why? So that they continued to maintain a righteousness from works of obedience to the law instead of enjoying the Sabbath as God created it, a day of rest. All right, so do we understand that? God creates a day of rest for us, a day where we're supposed to take and spend time with each other, fellowshipping with the Lord, going home and resting and, and being renewed for the new work week, if you will. Now, I'd like to move on now and go uh, look at this discussion of a Sabbath day's rest from what I call an eternal perspective. This is going to knock your socks off. And its perspective truly have only comes by a relationship with and through Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? And to truly understand this, please turn to Hebrews chapter 4. It's a long reading, verse 1 to 11, but it's setting the stage for what we're going to talk about. Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 11. And it says this, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, and what that means is entering the eternal rest. Let's be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. In other words, don't bypass a salvation by faith relationship with the Lord. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. When he's speaking about they did, those are the Jews who didn't believe in Christ as Messiah. But the message they heard was no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who believed entered that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Joshua had given them rest. God would not have spoken of a ladder, ladder about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. So important, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So what's going on here in this passage of Hebrews? I believe there are a couple of things that we can really glean from it this morning. First of all, let me give you this passage before we jump into it. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfillment. And he perfectly did. Jesus perfectly kept the law, sinless, perfect, kept the law. That's why he could be the propitiation for our sins, yes? And listen carefully. If we look at Scripture, when we put our faith into Jesus Christ, it says we're in Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. In Christ forgiven. In Christ redeemed. In Christ marked and sealed. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Now listen carefully. We are seen as righteous in the Father's eyes because we have the imputed righteousness of Christ and we're justified. What's the true biblical meaning of this word justified? Just as if we've never sinned, but in Christ, just as we've perfectly kept the law. In Christ. Do you hear me? Follow this because it's really important. So this is one of the blessings we have to grasp this morning. In Christ, no one has to 
attempt to gain a righteousness or attempt to be justified by doing the works of the law because in Christ the law is fulfilled and we being in Christ is as if we perfectly kept the law and can now receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? It was completed in him and because we are in him, it's completed in us so that when the Father looks at us, he looks at us as if we've perfectly kept the law and are seen as righteous because of who we are in Christ. So you have to understand, this is our Sabbath rest, that in Christ we can rest from trying to keep the law. We no longer have to work. Do you hear me? It's done in him. So there's no reason to attempt a righteousness of our own. The work is finished. He's our Sabbath. He's our rest, amen? amen? But there's a second rest being addressed here, also in this passage of Hebrews. It's the, evo- oh, I'm sorry, I really got ahead of myself. I'm sorry, forgive me. The other thing we have to look at here, for the Jewish people, there is going to come a day of rest when they realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They will put his faith, their faith in him, and they can now rest from the works of the law. If we read Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14, there's going to come a day when the Lord is going to descend from the clouds and the Jewish people are going to look on him and see it's the one they have pierced and they're going to put their faith in him as Messiah and Savior and Lord and they can finally rest from the attempts of keeping the law for their righteousness because they will have the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Okay, praise God. I am so ahead of myself, I don't know where I am. Praise the Lord. Give me a second. Okay. Look, the Adama covenant was a covenant of works, and our first parents failed. The Mosaic covenant was a covenant of works, and we failed. Romans 3.11 tells us there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Romans 3.23 tells us what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then listen to Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we are conscious of sin. Family, no one, absolutely no one, can keep the law and will never be declared righteous by trying or attempting to keep the law. It's by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And again, he finished the work, and in him the work is found. And our rest from this burden of condemnation by faith in the redemptive work of the one who perfectly fulfilled the law of Moses. Amen? Now, let me move on to this last point. And I'm telling you, this, this just blessed me abundantly. I hope you guys are as blessed as I was. In this passage from Hebrews, listen, the writer states something we could pass over very easily. Hebrews 4, verse 8 and 9 says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You see that? What he's speaking to is Joshua bringing the Israelites into the promised land. This was supposed to be a rest for the people of Israel. But what had happened is we study scripture and look through. Northern kingdom is exiled by the Assyrians. Judah is exiled by the Babylonians. They're taken out of the land. Then when the Romans conquer in 70 AD, we have the diaspora. They're dispersed amongst the nation. So what happened? What the scripture is saying in Hebrew is Joshua brought them in, but it wasn't the end or be all for the rest for the Israelites. There's going to come a time when there will be a rest for all God's people, and it's the eternal rest. All right? So first of all, 
There'll be a rest for the Jews when they see Christ and put their faith in him and are saved, right? But there's a second rest that's being addressed here. It's the everlasting rest that all believers will experience in the eternal kingdom of God. There's going to come a time, Christian, when we will rest for eternity in the presence of God. For heaven will be a place where there'll be, listen, we're no longer going to wrestle with a sin nature. We won't have to put up with a debauched world system. We won't have the influence of Satan and his cohorts. We'll rest from all fears and anxieties, all aches and pains and diseases, because we'll be given new spiritual bodies and we'll be in the presence of the Lord forever. We're never going to have to put up with the things that we put up with in this world that we do today. Even though it's a wonderful blessing, it's a beautiful creation, it still has been tainted by sin, and we have a sin nature that we have to deal with. But there is coming a time when we will find an eternal rest in heaven, in God's kingdom. Now, this is the point I want to make. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm actually going to open up Genesis 1. Go back there, and I've got to put the spectacles on. Genesis 1. And I want you to notice something. Bear with me. This is the creative order, Genesis 1. And I want you to see something. At the end of each of the first six days, look what it says. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And what does it say after that? And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Look at the second day of creation. Look at the end of that where it says what? After the expanse of the sky is created. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Look at the third day. What's it say at the end of the creation of the third day? There was evening and morning. Fourth day. Please go to the seventh day. So God created man in his own image, right? And God saw all that he made and that was the sixth day and all was good. But now go to chapter two. First three verses. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So the seventh day, he rested, Shabbat, Sabbath, from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work he had been doing, creating. What's missing? There's no evening, there was no morning, was there? Ah, that's interesting. Would God leave something out? Notice again, in those six days, but according to God's, and it's beautiful, infallible, authoritative word that right in Genesis he tells God's people there's coming an eternal rest you want to know why this just so blessed me it's never going to end there'll be no evening and morning because it's never going to end it's an eternal rest how many times I read Genesis and I see at the end of this on the seventh day it's going to go on forever there's no morning and evening it's the eternal rest of God for God's people so right in the beginning of Genesis, knowing what's going to transpire through the whole part of history, at the end of the whole, he says, there's going to be a day of rest for God's people in my eternal kingdom. It's incredible. Every other day has a beginning and end, but not the seventh day, because it will be an eternal rest for God's people. And when he was talking in Hebrews of a day coming, another day for Joshua and his people, he was talking to the day when we will be with him in his kingdom forever. And the Lamb will be our light, we'll need no sun, we'll need no moon, and we'll be there forever and ever. And that's why John Newton, his beautiful song, uh, Amazing Grace at the end, says, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've only just begun, because we'll be praising him forever. It'll never end. 
It, it blew me away. Amen. How many times have we read Genesis? And I never saw that. It never said in the evening and morning. But as I'm reading the commentaries, it shows that it's never going to end, people. We will be with him in glory forever and ever and ever. Resting from all the things we wrestle with in this world. Praise the Lord. We have such a thing to look forward to. 80 years at the max, 90, 100 years on here, but then eternity and God's eternal rest. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So as we conclude this morning, being that it's Labor Day weekend, but the bigger question is this. Far more ramifications than any uh, given day off from work. Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because that's the only way you can enter a rest. Right? Because he is our rest. He is the rest for all who come to him by faith. Because in him, listen, we rest from trying to keep the law and attain a righteousness of our own, which is impossible. Because of our sin nature, we will sin. We will fall short of the law. But in him, we rest because he fulfilled it and we're in Christ. And it says, if we fulfilled it also. We can rest on the assurance that we have received the righteousness of Christ and are justified in God's eyes. And we can rest in the fact that we will enter his eternal kingdom and rest in his perfect peace and presence throughout eternity where there's no evening, no morning, and the Lamb will be our light. Amen? This is our true rest. And as we meditate on it, meditate on it it's a wonderful way to enter into communion this morning because we can only be assured of the promises because of what Jesus Christ did. His sinless life, right? That he was sinless so he could be the perfect one to go to the cross as our substitute. His death, where he took all the judgment wrath that we deserve upon himself. His resurrection, because we also will rise with him on the day of the rapture. That rapture will happen. The dead in Christ will rise. Those who are living will join them. We'll get our glorified bodies and be with the Lord forever. And his ascension, because he ascended in him, it's as if we're seated in heavenly places already. So because of what, we, what Jesus did, we can have that perfect rest in him. Amen? As a result of all he's done for us, for us who walk by faith, we can look forward to this promise in Matthew 25, 21. Listen to what the Lord said. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over, over many things. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. And what that means is, enter now into my rest. Amen. His eternal rest in his beautiful kingdom. So this morning, let us come to the table in remembrance of what our Lord has accomplished, but also meditate on the rest that we find in him now. That in him, we're saved, born again, on our way to glory, made righteous, covered in his righteousness, whatever word you want to use. And then meditate on the fact that we will rest with him through eternity in his perfect kingdom. And on that note, Matt, if you can play this beautiful song, and it just, it's a blessing. Lady's got a funky name, but it's a blessing. Meditate on this as we prepare for communion. Burden, I will give.
He's our rest. He's our Sabbath. We can rest in him for our salvation. We have an eternal rest to look forward to. And a point maybe I should have made this morning is that in him, he's with us all the time. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And we can rest in his loving care as we journey, as we sojourn through this life. Amen. We are blessed people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So as we come to this table this morning, we're going to just uh, meditate on that what he did for us so that we could enter this eternal rest. Amen. Praise God. So now the worship team come up. Thanks, Mark. Yeah.